Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. We are back in the boiling point. And Dave, um, yes. we have a very special guest on today. There, there, there's a multitude of reasons why he's, he's a special man in the city. Uh, but he was my entrepreneurship teacher oh. in high school. Do you, un- and, and, you unleash this guy, Barry, <laughs> yes. or, or should I say, Mr. Ogden? No, Barry, Barry. Uh, Mr. Ogden. No, uh, we we talk about this often when I see Barry. But um, I sometimes wonder if he even actually remembers uh, me back then because he's well, touched we, so many people's why, lives. Why, 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 why don't we start by asking that? Do you, yes, do I you do actually remember, remember me, Barry? Yes, I do. <laughs> what, what do you remember? What are your recollections? That laugh. <laughs> And uh, full of energy, I think. Yeah, I, 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 is that I, fair? I think that's I think that's fair, Barry. Okay. And, and, he, I, and he's changed so much since then. Yes. And the neat thing is, I was actually in grade ten, and I believe that well, it was an eleven, a grade eleven course. Eleven, twelve. Yeah. Eleven, twelve. So, so I. <laughs> Clearly, I had a, a deep interest in uh, <laughs> the same theater arts. I was able to get into Mrs. Block's uh, grade 11, 12 uh, theater course in grade 10. So interesting where I am today. Think about those two grade 10 decisions. So outside of, uh, of the, uh, you know, the connection between us uh, in high school, uh, Barry, you have done so much in the city from, uh, from building the Marco Polo uh, reconstruct, which I can't wait to talk a little bit more about, to the Marigolds on Main Street, to the, the massive job at the Canada Games uh, Stadium and now Loyalist House. The list goes on. Dave, I'm sure you've been hearing over the years what Barry has been up to I in have. this community. I have. I, 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 by reputation. I, actually, it's the first time I think we've met. Thank so, you. Yeah. So, Barry, why, why don't you give us a, 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 a quick rundown of your very long list of uh, interesting community-based things that you've been doing? Well, um, the uh, Marco Polo is the oldest one that people would know publicly. Uh, and uh, we started out with the idea of building a full-size non-sailing vessel, and we're down to one-third the size just because a full-size one would be 15 feet above City Hall and longer than the Canada Game Stadium. So that just gives you about four times the size of the Blue Nose. So like just wow. so the one we're building, or it's built now, it's all finished, and there's no government money into it, um, it's, uh, it's, it's quite big too. And we haven't put the mast on it yet because the masts go on when we find a final home. And we've got the transportation to take it across Harbor Bridge paid for. So everything's paid for. We're just looking for a home. Now, before we get to the home and so many other things, too, why don't you let the listeners know the – because we have listeners from around the world – the significance of the original Marco Polo, the Mm -hmm. fact that it was made right here in Marsh Creek, fastest sailing ship of its day – uh, give us a quick history on the Marco Polo and then what you have accomplished in the last 30 years or so trying to rebuild this uh, beautiful piece. Well, first of all, the Marco Polo sailed for 32 years and most tall ships lasted for 10. And uh, when Napoleon cut the British off their wood supply in Scandinavia called the Continental Policy, the British had to find a place, a port that had deep water, closer in sailing times, um, timber, a river system, and some skills, which the loyalist multicultural refugees brought with them from New York. So that had all that combination. No other place had that with the timber and everything. So we started building some ships. At first, we started selling lumber, and then we realized you add value to your resources, right? And um, 
we um, we a man named James Smith took a drogger, which was square in the midships, and a clipper ship, kind of like combining a seven forty seven and uh, and a Concorde, and combined those two speed and efficiency and size, and he created the Marco Polo, and um, it ended up being the fastest ship in the world, first ship to circumnavigate the globe in um, less than six months, but it also carried a lot, a thousand passengers. Uh, it carried wood, then passengers, and wood. And so it helped put us in terms of marketing on the map because everybody said, wow, who built this ship? And they said, well, a place called St. John, New Brunswick. And then the city was basically around the harbor. And then it expanded into all kinds of communities, like became suburbs like Douglas Avenue, all these places. And so um, the natural resource had a tremendous impact on us because of our natural resource of wood and our natural resource of having the deepest water probably in the world. We still bring in the biggest ships in the world into St. John, New Brunswick. And just uh, just to end that story, um, what was the fate of the Marco Polo? The Marco Polo uh, took about a million immigrants to Australia, if you worked it out today, and then sailed all over the world. But its last days, it came into Cavendish PEI. And after 32 years, her hull was wrapped in chains and the storm hit. And a little girl uh, watched it and she went home and wrote some notes. Uh, she was eight. When she was 17, she wrote an essay on it and won her first national prize. It was Lucy Maud Montgomery. And then she wrote Anna Green Gables. And the Marco Polo still sits there at Cavendish National Park. I didn't even know that. Did you know no. that? No. Wow, that's crazy. No, yeah. you're, you're a history teacher, obviously. Yes. And one member of the Marco Polo... Samuel Napier from Bathurst uh, uh, found the largest gold nugget in the world in the King Oliver Goldfields in the back of Melbourne. And uh, it was one point, uh, 165 um, pounds, 99% pure gold. Oh. Really? Yeah, and it's still the mock-up of it. It's still left in uh, London, England. Jeez. So this particular project, Dave, um, <clears throat> is only one of many community projects that Barry's been involved with. And the interesting thing is about the Marco Polo project for the entrepreneurs listening yeah. is he raised was able to raise all this money from uh, citizen uh, supporters. Not it's not like you were looking for grants and uh, and, no. and public money. Um, that would be kind of a, a neat thing for our listeners, listeners to hear is how did you engage? And, and what was the, the total project uh, value? We're around $3 million and um, started um, 31 years ago. And um, I did a lot of research. And since then, even though the ship's not at home yet, we've had five novels. Um, we got 11,000 people in St. John to write both the mint and the post office. So we had a coin and a stamp. And we had a declarative national historic significance. I had the wreck site uh, um, gone over by the federal government, so that wreck site is also protected. Um, we there's Jim Stewart, a local musician, wrote ten songs, and it's the only ship in the world with ten songs called Suite of Songs. The National Film Board did a documentary on it, and um, then there's been uh, three musicals and um, and um, and one play. And the orchestra at Harbor Station. Yes, and um, it just continues to grow. Our website's over one million hits, and most of the projects I work on are websites. And our website, I had a friend call me that I went to elementary school with, that I used to walk with, and he's um, uh, a, a pipe fitter, and he said, there's a new thing, this was in the 80s, it's called the World Wide Web. I think we should take all the stuff you saved all your life and put it on it. And I always thought, if you want to make something grow, you give it away. So we put it on there because I was getting 
email, I mean mail from kids all over the world, and our website's now over a million hits. Uh, from and every bit of information you could ever find on the Marco Polo is on there. So what? So in, and for, for you personally, why was this an important project? Well, I lived in Rockwood Court when I was a kid. There's public housing, and then uh, we built a house, and then we bought a motel when I was 11. And my dad came from a bit of an entrepreneurial background. He was burnt very badly all over his body. Never complained a day in his life. Worked at MRAs, was the jet last GM, and there's a whole generation of people that would remember that. And my mom came from a coal mining town and worked her way and um, always taught us to, to work hard and everything. So when we bought the motel, I was renting rooms when I was 11 years old. I started my first marigold garden when I was 12, and my grandfather left me a big tall ship that I still have. It's about five by four feet uh, from the 1850s. And I put that in the middle of the marigold garden, and... Um, my parents also deliver a lot of food to people who are in need in the city because we have a very high poverty rate, a lot of slum housing. And um, I think I began to realize that uh, we need pride in everything you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have a – the first person you got to like in the world is what I always told my students is yourself. And mm-hmm. I've always gave my students my phone number if they needed to talk to anybody over 43 years of coaching and 33 years of teaching. Mm-hmm. And I always believe that you – your spirit really does move you and you can accomplish and my parents taught us that and I always told my students that that you can accomplish anything you put your mind to that entrepreneurs are really just problem solvers and they're positive thinkers there's no BMW no bitching moaning and whining Mm -hmm. you just keep moving on those are words to live by yeah and it'd be interesting to uh to talk to most of our successful entrepreneur guests on the on the boiling point and they would probably concur Wait, can I can I ask a follow up question around pride? Like I'm just wondering, like so you know what what I mean uh, you know like obviously this is the Marco Polo is something to be really proud of, right? In this region, mm-hmm. but when you when you look around right now, Barry, what are you what are you seeing that that fills you with pride in terms of? Well, the marigolds, um, we've set Guinness record three times now, and we started with uh, 19 years ago with just a small group. We're up to 56 gardens, 7,000 children a year, and over four million. That. That that was a unique idea right here that we started. Yeah. Um, what, is it, what is it like? What does the marigold represent? And I mean, for those people. That well, know. it's sense of empowerment that children grow these, and that we took Main Street, uh, which was a, it's a it's a terrible looking street, and it once once a beautiful street, and it can come back to that. Yeah. And we put them there to change the, a person's perception, and also I chose the school that had the lowest marks, in the region when they were the Department of Education and their wisdom, which was just foolishness. You know, we used to say what kids weren't unsuccess- were unsuccessful. And because you, if you want to change things, you've got to be positive. So I chose that school that had the lowest marks to start with. And now we're um, at 56 schools from Sussex to St. Stephen. And we've been copied in about five countries, and we've won four international awards. All right, eh? And there's no government, you know, I mean, the city workers do a lot of the work, but uh, we we have about 110 sponsors. So, so in the, it sounds like um, you know the idea of getting grants and stuff is not does not fit kind of well with how you get a project off the ground. Well, I'll take money if it's there, but okay. I'm not going to let that stop me. Or, or you're not going to wait for it either. Like uh, that's right. You are know. an entrepreneur at the core. It's like okay, the quickest way to do this is to use the resource of connection. Right. Uh, that you have, and let's let's get this project going. I helped run five businesses before I became a teacher. And when I first started teaching, I took my students out of the class a lot. I, I introduced entrepreneurship to 
um, our schools. I introduced a number of, of subjects, and I'm a, I guess I'm an out of the box thinker. Yeah. And um, I, how, how did how did that line up with the Department of Education? Not well at all, <laughs> because that's one of the whole things that hold uh, us back in our education is that right. um, bureaucrats um, want to control everything, and of course. If you really want people to grow, they got to become entrepreneurial. And you can be entrepreneurial. I think most teachers are entrepreneurial. They're problem solvers. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah and the uh, the question of pride, isn't that interesting? Because uh, last time we were here, Tim, our engineer, asked both of us that. I think, what is, because he was, he was wondering, he's like, what do we have to be proud of? Not well, our history. Honors, but as, as, as a province. Yeah. Um, and when I asked the question to myself, uh, there's a whole bunch of things, like, but I'm very St. John specific. So St. John is the city that we're in right now. I'm just so proud of the river, the bay. I'm proud of the connectivity that we have here. Where if you've got a project like Marigolds or Marco Polo or or Loyalist House, you can engage people around an idea. Uh, if you need to sit down with the premier of the province, you're a phone call away. There's things you can do in this place that make me proud. But I think there's a lot of people that don't have pride or hope in this place as well. I always think that when people don't have pride, they just don't know. I always think that people who are poor don't realize they have power. And that's when I teach political science. You know, it's a, it's a study of power and influence. So I say, okay, then how can we teach people? I'm a great believer in people like Gandhi and Mandela and Mother Teresa is in, in nonviolence. But, um, you know, if you said to Gandhi, uh, you're, uh, you know, afraid to use violence, he'd say, no, I don't have to because I can provoke people to think, throw me in jail or whatever. So, you know, some of the things I do are provocative. Um, and I don't always pay attention to rules. I've, you know, painted murals on places and come and told afterwards you shouldn't have done that. And I said, you graffitied on a uh, on, on on a on a road once, I believe, as well. Um, yeah, because two <laughs> children were hit. On, you don't, know? Don't, you, don't you like my word graffiti? Yeah. When you were doing something that should have, you got to tell Dave that story. That's that's well, good. Well, we had two children hit, and I was tired of it on the street, and uh, so I did call the city. I always try to work within the system, but uh, and Jerry Pond always laughs at this one. So and they they said well, we're going to get around to it. So I went out one morning at 6 a.m. and painted red and gray sidewalks with colors, but somebody from the media found out and did a story, and it went national. And um, anyway, some of my former football and soccer and hockey players found out about it in Western Canada, and they put it on everything imaginable. And my two sons, one's in Indonesia right now and one's in Alberta, called me, and they said, Dad, what are you doing? It's everywhere what you're doing about this sidewalk thing. I said, oh, I didn't mean it to be. But anyway. You're just doing what had to be done because kids are getting hit at a dangerous corner. Yeah, and we had one kid really severely fly in the air, come down on their book bag and would have been killed, and it wasn't with staff members. And I just, wow. when I hear those things, I just think, you so, know. So you're an activist as well. I would say so, yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny, when I was in school, they might have called me a shit disturber, and now they call yeah. me an instigator, and I don't know what the difference is. <laughs> That's exact same it's called, thing. It's called age. Uh, another, interesting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, another interesting thing, Dave, is... Uh, uh, speaking of Jerry Pond, Jerry Pond just released a book about Barry. So Jerry wrote is now oh, a, an author. Yeah. Lisa Harablik has helped. Uh, yeah. What was that like to have? It's kind of surreal because yeah. Jerry and I became friends. He was president of Bittel. And then he, I think he started like 34 companies, very successful. And um, he said, I want to write a book about your experiences. And so it was his insights. So he had Lisa Rablik, um interview a number of people who some of them I want to write their obituary of what they said. 
because when I was in school, high school, I used to fight all the time on the hockey rink. Yeah. And they told some of these stories, which I didn't ever share with my children. But <laughs> now it's out you there. Now it's out there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we ran out at Christmas, and then a second group came out, and there was a large number of anti-poverty and business people liked it. So they supported it, and we had, into the second run, we had 500 requests. Now it's in uh, many people's classrooms and, uh, you know, marketing program, NBCC and, and nursing school and all those types of things. It's about change. Hmm. And uh, Jerry talks about that. I, I always take on people who are afraid of change. Yeah. That's, that, what a, that's a real honor, I guess, for you, wouldn't it? You know, be like that. Yeah, it's still, I really have, a, like, we're restoring Loyalist House right now. We've raised about 600 grand and been started about seven months ago. And the Masons were working today, and a bunch of people came up and started talking to me and were thanking that we organized it. And And that's kind of surreal to me. Like, uh, even when I've been involved with three documentaries, one on the Marigolds, and one we put some, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember that one, Greg, where we put some um, uh, wells into Bolivia and Nicaragua. We raised some money for some villages and that. So I did a documentary with PBS with Sam Waterton, and then one was uh, on the Marco Polo and one on Marigolds, and it's still even when I watch it, it's kind of surreal that you know, like. Um, so it's like it's almost like you're not you're not doing it for the notoriety. No, it's it's, it's, it's coming it's, behind you. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah, it's and, it's and still just, way above my head. Uh, yeah, but you isn't know? That, it's it's inspiring because when we think about. You know, we keep using this word impact, uh, which if if you listen to our uh, podcast a few weeks ago with Deb Hatcher, uh, she challenged us to use a different word, but uh, let's let's continue using it. If you're talking about personal impact, um, what Barry's doing is he's not doing it to get a book written about him or a documentary made about him or for us on the boiling point to praise it. He's just doing what he needs to do in the community. And I think to a certain extent, so many of us try to do that as well and want to do that and well uh, yeah well when i i wanted to start i coached um, three sports boys and girls but i wanted to start a university football team in st john and realized i spent five years 13 years ago going around to mcgill and concordia had a friend who was involved with the mcgill team and i had a son played at Monet and i had a chance to play years ago so i went to all these places and cis was just too expensive so i thought well maybe we could create our own league so I went to some universities. Dow said, oh, no, I don't think it'll work until the second year they came in. UPEI said it wouldn't work, and we ended up with another uh, place, Holland College. And then UMB Friedrichen, for 35 years, wanted a team but said, you know, we can't afford CIS. And I said, no, I think I can create a team where we don't ask you for any money. And they couldn't get their head around that. UMB is a, a very bureaucratic uh, institution. You mean like wouldn't support uh, St. John? Well, or? no, just the whole idea that uh, because they had in their mind that football was a very expensive sport, but they didn't understand that any football program, the, the association provides the gear. So funding minor football has $600,000 in gear. It keeps growing in numbers because the gear is there, right? So it's very cheap sport, but people don't understand that. So anyway, uh, so I helped the guys in Fredericton who started the team here. So then when I was told that, oh, you know, if you're going to start a team, there's no money, no university money. I said, I'm not asking you for money. So it was about 40000 I basically borrowed the money and then went out and raised it afterwards. Got a lot of support in the city. I figured out what it would cost for each kid and uh, talked about St. John's biggest threat is losing our young people. And this is something because 18 to 24 we can do. And then um, uh, so they said, well, okay, you can start a team, but you don't have a league. So I created the Atlantic Football League. <laughs> which we're adding a team this year, Moncton. How, how many? How many teams? Uh, we have five. Yeah. And uh, and that we don't want to grow quickly. 
And for instance, uh, you know, we had a group in Halifax approach us, but we have a team there, Dow. We don't want to be splitting markets or anything like that. So uh, I worked out what we could do uh, to run a team without any government money, without any university money. And the university kept saying, we have no money, Barry. I said, I know that. I want to help you. I want to help you recruit and I want to help you promote. And the biggest thing for people in St. John who contributed was, and this sometimes UNB doesn't understand, is we are afraid of losing our young people more than most because we have the only university in the country where we don't have a president of the university and we don't control our own funding in St. John. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have post-secondary control of your post-secondary, your city's not going to grow. And we're the only city that has that. So anyway, um, then we ran into, we say, okay, well, try to create a league, try to create a team. Then they said, well, the stadium's condemned, basically. the light They took the lights down. We The city spent $20-some million to build this beautiful stadium, and it was let to go downhill. So I started a program to refurbish the stadium. We raised $7 million. We refurbished the stadium. We started the league. We started the team. We're now in our eighth year. And we've never asked the universities for any money or anything. And we have different models. And I, so I created up a constitution that you could be flexible in your model. You could have a pure university team, combination, NBCC, or, and, and the community. And that's what we have in St. John because we have such a small university in St. John. So everybody uses the different models, but we all play in the same league. And we've been recognized now two years ago by the CFL. Uh, I've taken the team to the United States every year. We go down and play an American team, and um, we keep our young people home, and the kids pay about $300 to play, and it costs about $1,200 per student, and we raise the other money. Hmm. And parents are real pleased because if you go away to university, it's $19,000. If you stay home, it's $6,000. I've had a lot of mothers and fathers say to me, you saved me $50,000 because my son wanted to go to university, and he wanted to play football. Mm-hmm. And we were never had that opportunity in St. John before. Amazing. Uh, what an what what awesome hook. Because you're right, because some people, yeah. like some... Uh, Having the highest poverty rate in the province. Yeah. I mean, we're not Fredericton, right. right? We have a much higher rate poverty rate, and they don't understand that usually. And our, our first game, Peter Fox game, one of our players passed away with cancer. He and his three brothers played on the team. We get 1,700 people out. We still put in the largest crowd into Canada Game Stadium. Uh, Incredible. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's, in- I know we're at the end here, but I, I think it's interesting about uh, cities not having control of uh, their post secondary institution. It and, really and hurts St. John. Yeah, and it's connection to you. So you have, and you're, there's a connection there to, to, uh, to poverty. Is that what you, you Yeah, know? because if you want to beat poverty, you have to empower people. Yeah. Or show that, and if you want to make a community grow, you have to empower it. I mean, we're doing the murals to tell our history, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, we're, doing loyal self. So if you get people understanding who they are and have pride, they also will be empowered. The old systems, and this is why Jerry Pond and I wrote the book, the old systems about just giving people things doesn't work. And the problem in St. John is that the Municipality Act and the way UNB functions is all the powers in Fredericton. So we, they take our money, and um, but we don't have the power to control that. And if you want the individual to come out of poverty, you have to empower them. That's why we do the marigolds. And, and I've worked with the food banks for 30 years. And when I started, there was one food bank. Now there's 13. Right. So that problem's not getting better. Right. So we need to empower people. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a consistent Entrepreneurs theme. are empowered. And Absolutely. they know it. Absolutely. Which you know? Uh, I think is a, a great way to wrap up. And I'll just take my takeaway. It's that sentence that Barry just said. Um, you know, it is empowering to be an entrepreneur, whether you win or lose, uh, it really doesn't matter because you're building something uh, much larger. And the very fact that um, 
entrepreneurship was a niche course somewhere in high school uh, tells us that we need to do more. We need to be teaching entrepreneurships to grade ones and twos and threes and fours and fives and six. And that's what we explored when we were in Estonia, like entrepreneurship and coding and robotics and music is inoculated in very, very early ages. So they get it coming through the system. But entrepreneurship is teaching risk. It's it's teaching uh, disruption. Uh, it's yeah. uh, teaching creativity, innovation. <clears throat> so uh, that would be my take takeaway: is we need to continue spreading the gospel of entrepreneurship to everybody uh, that that we can. It doesn't mean everyone has to start a business. We're talking about that entrepreneurial drive. How about you? Um, I thought you know I could take any more. Like you got you got, you on, got ten minutes of takeaways now. Can you give me the thirty seconds? Oh, this is really good. You're, so you're getting me back from from two podcasts ago, yeah. aren't you? No, 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 that's good. I well, I think I, what I appreciate what uh, I'm learning from Barry, and I, I look forward to getting to know you better, Barry. Is um is is not just talking about it, but is is being part of it, action, you know, and, and doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that so and that that's inspiring for others because I mean, so it's the combination of and and it's not that you're you're beating your drum or anything, but you know, saying hey, this is what we believe in, and then and then it's you know like that means a lot to people when they and I think you know that's why you're probably inspired by Barry. I mean, for me, it is inspiring because it's not just about it's not just about saying it; it's actually doing it. And sometimes, and I guess maybe that ties into being an entrepreneur. You don't know the whole path. But if you take the first step, the you learn step, as you go. It shows up, doesn't it? Yeah, and a lot step. of people. I always say that people are from Missouri, show me state. That a lot of times I got to actually show somebody what I'm talking about for them to buy into it. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah. And uh, interesting uh, to ask you your takeaway because this is all your content coming out of your head. But uh, having this conversation, being a guest on the on the podcast, we we like to. Uh, here are some of the takeaways. Any new thoughts after having this conversation? Well, I'm really inspired because um, when I started years ago, I was felt I was a little bit alone, alone out there because yeah. I was thinking differently. Yeah. And um, so now I'm really inspired. Uh, and I think that's why I have a good friend of mine who uh, runs a company and said, you'll never grow up. And um, so I'm inspired by young people today. I have two sons who are very entrepreneurial, and we talk all the time. And uh, and I think that's what biggest part I miss about teaching school is being around young people who who don't have those uh, chips on their shoulder and everything, and they want to change things because yeah. that's the way I am. Yeah. And uh, and I love it. You know, I just love to hear all those challenges and everything. And uh, yeah. and uh, I think that's one thing being with you people is that I'm really, really pleased when you say the B Corp and all these things. When I hear this, I went to Greg's film and I just thought, oh, this is, you know, been waiting for this all my life to yeah. see these people just, you know. <laughs> and uh, it, it just stops you from growing old. And I, yeah. like, I'll never retire. I love <laughs> Love doing things. Um, it, well, it's like a, you know, it's nice as a pioneer to see the the people in behind you. Did Greg have a beard like that in grade ten? No, uh, no. Peach fuzz, perhaps. <laughs> and you know what? If he did, I'd make him shave it because I still wear cufflinks and I. I'm, yeah, right you now, are, I don't have a tie. Yeah, you're just you know? smartly. And I still wear a suit. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always oh I always dressed up. The kids always say, you know, because uh, they get this old man image when they first meet you that you yeah. because you're dressed up. But my parents always dressed up. Yeah. Well, I wish you would have told me. I would have dressed up. And too. I. Yeah. Well, Barry, thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, keep on uh, inspiring. Yeah. Th thank you very much. Oh, actually, one last thing. How do people learn more about Barry? Yeah. yeah and, and the book. How do people get the book and learn just... Okay, the book's touch. on sale at 17 different places. Java Moves, The Dairy Queens, Vito's, Bailman's, all throughout the city market. Can uh, buy it I don't want to miss anyone. You can buy it online. I think... Um, Blurb.ca, um, maybe Apple, Amazon, that type of thing. 
And um, also uh, the, the Seawolves football team has a website, www.seawolves.ca. Uh, Marigolds has a website, um, uh, you know, same thing, Marigolds. And uh, the Marco Polo has a website. And I'm attached to all those t- things there too. And so just uh, do a Google search for Barry Ogden, yeah, and you will find it all. <laughs> yeah, awesome. all I, right. uh, I guess so. Yeah, uh, you're I easy still, to find. Pardon? You're easy to find. Yeah, and uh, but I like to talk about my projects, not so much about me. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> but I, I would encourage people to read the book because Jerry's very successful at doing things and some of the things I've been at have been successful and you'll get I think you'll get inspired after you read the book cool well it's called Ogden's Odyssey by the way oh perfect and that's Jerry's Jerry's uh, thoughts on that great we gotta get Jerry on yeah I don't know why we haven't yet but we will okay All right. thanks Barry see you next week Dave see you buddy thanks Barry thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth.